What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premier podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, J.W. Crewall. J.W., how's it going today? It's going good, Riley. What happened to good, good friend? (laughs) My bad, man. My bad. (laughs) Nah, I'm just messing with you. Dude, I'm doing pretty good. It was, uh, it's been a good couple of days. I don't know. Just spirits have been high been feeling good been yeah. getting some things accomplished so it's been really great and then we got a new set that's coming out tomorrow on pcgo which i'm excited about because this format is i i would say overall is good we'll get a little bit more to it but um i mean i've just played so many games in it's this expired format, so I'm, I'm ready to <laughs> i'm ready to freshen things up yeah for sure that's one of the great things about card games is they're always changing so well, uh, some card games. Trading cards. Trading card games. There you go. Trading card games. Well, except out of print ones. Those don't change. Well. <laughs> like Transformers TCG is not going to change. Was Transformers TCG even fun enough to warrant keeping around? <laughs> I heard good things. Okay. I'm not, I'm definitely not bashing Transformers TCG because I heard some, I did hear some very good things about it. And some people were very upset that it got canceled. I mean, good games sometimes do die young. Like, it, it happens. Um, I feel like if you're I, not... I just, it's weird how unsustainable trading card games are. Yeah, I don't... I think if you're just not one of the big three, it's just such a hard thing to break into. You know, if you're not the Pokemon Magic Yu-Gi-Oh!, it's so hard to actually get a foothold. Yeah, and it's it just makes me wonder why. Like, what was the, what was the thing in the early 90s that caused... <laughs> trading card games to really just bust on the scene and never leave in terms of those three trading card games yeah i have no idea maybe we're due for a history lesson or something (laughs) yeah that'd be that'd be interesting to hear from uh from like someone who is who was in the thick of things back then but yeah i'm sure there's like a documentary or something we could find out there that would be pretty cool (laughs) yeah so if, if anyone listening knows be sure to you're sure DM us on Twitter, tag team Pokemon. Well, we, have, we have 20 Wild saying, I watched an interesting series on the deadly sins of TCG design. I have watched I think that. That'd be... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I've watched all of those. I will have to watch that. Yeah, Seven... it, it talks about some of like the more blatant things like that you can do wrong in a TCG. Um, it's yeah. really interesting though like one of the seven deadly sins that they call out is set rotation specifically for a, a new card game. So, like, you know, if you're Pokemon or Magic, having a set rotation is fine because you're established, you have a pool of cards already, and you can work with that. Yeah. But, like, starting off your card game and immediately setting the precedent of rotation is, like, one of the seven deadly sins that he calls out. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. So, super fun. Um, cool. Anyway, though, uh, in the Pokemon world, we are in the midst of the players cup we just had the qualifier happen in all of the regions and we've cut to top 16 at this point unfortunately i was unable to make it through uh, but my good friend andrew mahone made it through with a very similar deck list to mine into the top 16 playoff for north america so very excited for him um listeners Oh, go ahead. I just want to say for for Andrew, I mean, it is pretty amazing the run that he's been. I mean, if we can c- consider this still like the season, I mean, I guess it within one calendar year. I mean, <laughs> he's had some pretty amazing finishes, and um, 
I, I really hope that, you know, he, he was very close. He got second place at the like first players cup in that, in that play-in tournament for the, the content creators and big yeah, the invitational, um, the invitational. And so I, I do hope that he takes this one down. That would be pretty stunning. I hope at the very least he gets the top four to slide through into the next stage, you know? Yeah. That would be awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, Andrew's really had a, really had a heck of a year, um, calendar year at the very least, if not a Pokemon year. Um, you know, he's did very well in the Invitational. He had a bunch of really strong regional finishes. And it's funny because I feel like he's always, um, what is that noise? <laughs> that is my heater. I know. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. That's no, no big deal. Um, Basement life. <laughs> I feel like he's always super self-conscious about his performance in the trading card game, but really he's just blowing the rest of us out of the water lately. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I think because his brand of content is more geared toward a casual player, but when you know push comes to shove, he really does have quite a number of accomplishments, particularly recently. Yeah, no so. doubt. Um, so for the curious, though, I'll run through... My players cup very briefly. Um, you know, I, I don't feel the need to touch in every single round. Overall, I think it, it went okay. Obviously, I didn't make it, but you know, such is life. I played Pikaram just like I said I would on the podcast, and uh, truly, I think it it was a good choice for the event, uh, at least in North America. Uh, we'll talk more about what the different regions looked like in a little bit here. Um, so I played a very straightforward Pikaram list. I played four hammers, no yell grunts, but maxed out on pretty much every single count that I could. Um, didn't really make any concessions. I had 10 lightning, four speed energy, try and help with energy removal kind of matchups, uh, be it crushing hammers, Lucario Melmetal. Um, I played the Coco and the Air Balloon to give as many outs to switching as possible. You know, really trying to just juice up the deck as much as possible. And frankly, I thought it worked pretty well for that purpose. Uh, I did prize three switch in two different games, which made the the switching part more difficult than anticipated, but um, it was very fun on the whole. So I got a buy round one, which was awesome. Um, so for the unaware, the the way the seating worked, they actually respected the seating of like your finish in the in like the play in time, and. Uh, for all the people who didn't, it was kind of weird, but like for all the people who didn't show up to the player's cup or didn't register, didn't spin a list, um, instead of adjusting the bracket, uh, because they want to keep it the top 256 bracket, instead they just gave buys to everyone who was in that like top 20-something people. Um, so I got a buy around one, that was super cool, except the fact I had to wait <laughs> to play because it was just like really juiced up on the Saturday morning kind of vibe. Um, and getting around round two, I'm against Lucaro Melmetal, I was feeling pretty good about it. It came down to... A game three scenario and my round two is also very bizarre uh if you saw my twitter my my opponent made the mistake of they accidentally like reported the match as soon as they got to the game which was incredibly bizarre so i had to call the judge three times to try and get that fixed that was pretty wild that whole saga was really well no it was intense. extra frustrating and like i knew my my opponent like really did not intend for anything to be there's no malfeasance there like they're an innocent person but they made a mistake and i call a judge and they weren't able to like fix it so instead of just sitting in this completed match like what do i do I, and i'm 
I call the judge again asking like, hey, can we can we reset the game like match? Because what the original judge had did is they reset the game score to zero zero. And it's like that's fine, but it still says I lost. <laughs> like <laughs> right, of course, there's still error. Yeah. So and the worst part though was it put me in the losers bracket. So like. I'm midway through now. So we call another judge. They tell us, like, yeah, there's, we can't do anything about it. Can you just play it out? Uh, and, like, we'll fix it after if if something changes. I'm like, fine. Uh, but the problem was I was already in the loser's bracket. So, like, my opponent in the loser's bracket, like, gets to his that stage of the bracket. And he's, like, asking me if I'm ready to play. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm here or not. So Yeah, right. It was a... It was just a super bizarre situation. I was against the Carl Metal. It came down really close. I forget exactly how the game panned out, but it it was like it came down to like stamp draws on both sides. Um, yeah. And I ended up losing, so I did end up having to play the person who was waiting on me for like half an hour for me to actually play my games. Um, yeah. And I guess that was fine. I played against a couple of Picaroms in a row, um, like two or three, okay. and they are all playing the Azul, Yelgrunt, No Hammer version, which I do like sure. that version in a lot of matchups. Um, I didn't like it specifically for, um, for like the Picarom Mirror, though, actually, and because I thought having that extra hard removal was really good in the Mirror. Um, yeah. And that ended up proving to be true, at least in my practice at least in my practical experience in the fact that i beat two or three of those um yell grunt pika kind of decks um, yep so really smoothly through there andrew was coming in and telling me now and then how he played another adp and it went super well for him and he thinks the matchup's <laughs> super good i'm like yeah i haven't seen a single one of those guys like i'm just playing pika mirrors all day <laughs> yeah for sure um so and all the pika mirrors like it they felt kind of close but it i always felt like i kind of had an edge at the end of the day um you know it you know amir inherently is always going to be close unless you have a hard tech for it but i always felt like i had an edge um yeah and so that went really smooth i ended up playing frank persic in the next round i didn't realize until after um but i saw my opponent's name was frank p it, and on battlefy they didn't it didn't have like your real name uh, it was just your username name. on sure. tcgo sure it wasn't even like first. It wasn't even first name, last initial. It's just your TCGO name, and Frank's name just happened to be Frank P. Um, okay. And I'm like, is that Frank? And he was playing a Sandy Scorch deck, so I was pretty sure it was Frank. But I don't yeah. think he knew it was me either, because like we know each other, and we weren't like chatting or sending emotes or anything. I'm like, okay, yeah. I don't know what's going on yeah. here. I message him after. It was in fact Frank. So that's good to funny. know, I guess. Um, yeah, that's funny. So we had a really, really close series. Pika versus Scorch is actually a really fun matchup, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I won the coin flip, so I got to go second on game one. And that was exactly what I was talking about last week about Sandy Scorch, is how you can you can control who goes first or second through the entire series on the coin flip, which is so bad for Sandy. And so mm-hmm. game one, I end up getting a really dominant board. Or no, game one, actually, um, yeah, I get a really dominant board really fast. And... Frank just can't respond. Game two, he completely blows me out of the water. It was insane. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then game three, uh, I put the pressure on just really hard, and it comes down to stamp draws on both sides again. I need him not to draw, like, switch boss. Um, and I was in that exact scenario in game two, actually, where I need him not to draw switch boss. I need you to switch boss. Um, but this time, he didn't draw switch boss, uh, so I was able to pull out that win. And... Then I'm thrust into the throws again of a Lucario Metal matchup, which really I don't think the matchup is that bad for yeah. Pikaram, especially you, you with the... You were definitely 
you're definitely one of the people that you know you have a game plan for that matchup yeah and you execute that and then if you do that then you're able to i uh, think in there's your a... opinion at least like get through the matchup yeah and so game one i completely blowed the guy up it was insane um game two was really close but i just ran out of cards <laughs> like literally mm-hmm. um yeah yeah and game three was super unfortunate um and it really sucks to have your players cup run end like this but um i was in a situation where i prized my second bolt on which is really huge in the matchup and i also prized um i it was either my my last boss or something else and so i i was really digging through my prizes because my opponent started the um the Galarian Stunfisk, which is really bad on the Pikaron matchup yeah. because uh, you can just KO that and completely offset the the seven prize game that they try to play, um, which is re- that's right. why that's why I cut the Galarian Stunfisk whenever I play that deck because it's so frustrating to me whenever you start it. The game yeah. is so much it, worse. It definitely, yep, exactly. It definitely can uh, definitely so, can alter how your opponent can play the matchup. And so I had I set myself up really well to win, um, but I just wasn't drawing my boss. Um, yeah. so I had to, I had to concede a couple turns and my bolt ton was prized. So I couldn't take huge knockouts, even though I had a lot of energy on the board. Um, yeah. and I got into a situation where I actually had like the solution for game in spite of all that. So <laughs> yeah. I got down to one prize and I pulled the bolt ton at this point, but there was no energy left to attach to it. So it was a dead card. Yeah. Um, and what I had to do was I had a three energy peak around, uh, however many energy rides you, I think five, because I'm pretty sure I lightning ride that game. And I have another three energy peak around. So my plan was I was going to pull something up that already had damage on it, hit it with Raichu for another hundred. So it was going to go up to like 130, I believe. This is Zacian that's in the active. Sure. And then I would retreat the Raichu again, go into the other peak around that has energy and full blitz it for like exactly a knockout. And I had that and I stamped into one as well. So I had this exact game plan that I was going to execute on. Um, yeah. And there was two flaws with that two game outs. plan. Uh, uh-huh. Two flaws. My opponent had, I think they had two outs as well, but there are two flaws. Um, one for each out, I guess. <laughs> but the first flaw was if my opponent was to draw a switch out, then I couldn't gust again and I would lose. The second out was I had one card left in my deck, and it was a Boltund that I had Marnie the turn prior. Um, and so if they happen to pull up a Pokemon, then I also lose. Um, so if they draw their last boss or a switch, then I lose off the stamp <laughs> to one. And they did draw the boss. And really the worst part about that was my la- my one prize card that was left, the Stunfisk prize card, was the was the switch so i oh no <laughs> so i just it was super frustrating uh, so it's a, a last prize scenario to lose your players cup run on and that just feels yeah. so bad um, yeah i still had a lot of fun but it, I, that's gonna eat at me for a while and the crazy thing is i take my prizes in a really weird order on tcgo yeah. i don't know why yeah. but if you've ever like seen me stream tcgo or watch me play on like discord i take them like diagonally and then i take the middle ones and it's just like super bizarre and so it's yeah, like if yeah, i took yeah. my prize like a normal person i would have had the switch and i would have no, I, I definitely <laughs> do that too i go like i go in like a crisscross yeah like, i take top right know. then bottom left yeah. and then bottom right then top <laughs> left and then the middle ones that's how i always take it and yeah. you know, heaven forbid that the switch was the last prize card. That- 
<laughs> that rocks. Uh, so, yeah, so that just sucks. I, it happens, though. It's part of Pokemon. So. Well, talk to us about the experience as a whole. Was it overall positive? You mentioned that there was that little bit of a hiccup in round number two, you said, where you kind of got, you know, mis- or the opponent put in a wrong, um, you know, result, and it led to a little bit of a delay. Would you still say overall that it was very well ran? I would say it was decently run on the whole, um, and a decent. Ex- it was definitely a good experience. Um, I'll say that. Mm-hmm. So my opponents were all super gracious, super nice, um, especially like my losers bracket opponent when I was dealing with the um, the mishap in round two, uh, like the mm-hmm. fact that they were so accommodating and chill about it, uh, as opposed to like heckling me, um, was just kind of nice. It just made the experience a little more pleasant. Um, everyone I played against was really nice. I didn't really have any issues with like BM or anything like that. Um, yeah. no, like no one was playing like especially slow either, which is something that I think is really frustrating in online play when people just time out all their actions. Um, yeah. so, and That's one great. thing, one thing I did like, um, was that this, so this is like a, a double, um, a double limb tournament. So. Uh, you know, in theory, like, because it's bracket style, like, you could play your match if it's available in pure theory world. And they actually let us, like, play ahead in our bracket. Um, if, oh, good. So, okay. like, we weren't beholden to the whole tournament, which was so nice. And, like, in a Swiss yeah. tournament, you couldn't do that. And, I mean, as much as I think Swiss is, like, a better trading card game format, I think given that we did have double limb, I liked the fact that we could play ahead in our bracket. Uh, it made yeah. it run a lot smoother. Um, and people... I mean, people overall ran pretty fast. It was usually just like a couple games that were left. Um, so why not let us just play ahead? And so, yeah. and so, I guess like in theory, it could lead you to having some wait time, especially if you lost later in the winner's bracket, uh, because the loser's bracket has to have multiple rounds to catch up to the winner's bracket. Um, right. But, you know, on the whole, I think it was, I, I really did like that aspect of it. Um, the the whole Discord Battlefy thing is like a little hectic to me. Um it feels like we should have a system to that now, you know, because this Limitless has their whole thing. And I'm, I'm not going to get too deep into this, but Limitless has their whole thing. And Pokemon's using Discord and Battlefy, um, which was a little strange, if anything. Um, but overall, they handled it well. When the Discord chat was opened, so for context, uh, in Players Cup 2, there's a, there's a Discord that you're invited to if you qualified. And... Uh, you got you got permitted to specific channels based on the region you qualified for. So I could only mm. view the NATCG channel. Um, and at first, they were trying to do like their players meeting announcements, and <laughs> they like unlocked the chat, and so people were just spamming and spamming and spamming. And like, <laughs> I I almost feel like Pokemon was just naive there, and it's almost the fault of the the players for just being annoying but yeah (laughs) (laughs) but like you should also have the foresight to know that people are going to do that when presented the opportunity yeah so yeah yeah, i mean because this poor will post is trying to post his announcements and there's just endless sea people are talking about like cheerios or something or cinnamon toast crunch that's what that's what it was they're all talking about cinnamon toast crunch and there's just (laughs) endless spam and i'm like oh my and i'm like man i'm tired like (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to deal like with a nightmare. It's just I don't know. I was just not in the mood for it, so it's yeah. just really annoying. Yeah. yeah, that's really funny. <laughs> but you know, overall, good experience. I'm glad they're doing this. On the whole, like it felt good to be in like an official tournament and feel like I was like trying to to win something out of it. Um, yeah. So I liked it. I would do it again. 
Um, I think it was a huge improvement on the first one in terms of the qualification. And I can't speak to the actual, um, like, invite portion of the rounds, but I can only imagine that they've learned a lot of lessons with that as well and will continue to learn. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to see where, you know, if there is a winter or a spring type event, um, you know, even more improvements that uh, that Pokemon can make. So yeah. congratulations once again, Riley, on your finish. I mean, it is an, an achievement to get there and then to, you know, you did above average in, in the tournament. And, you know, <laughs> there's only 16 that can make it at the end. So, um, yeah, well, well done. Well, yeah, done. you can't I, win them all. I had my scope set for going all the way, but I'm, I'm happy with how it went you know i was happy to that's awesome. honestly i was i was really proud of like my qualification period which i know is silly but i thought it, that was really fun no i think that's uh that's probably a better well i don't want to say better but it's probably you can look at it as being potentially a better uh marker for your play just in the sense that you have to be better for a longer period of time whereas in the players cup you're kind of beholden more to the matchups um in the sense that you know, you can only lose twice. So if you hit two bad matchups or, um, you know, your deck doesn't work twice, like you're out of it. Uh, whereas opposed to the qualification period, you have, you know, at least 50 games to prove yourself. Um, so clearly a, a big difference there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll talk in just a second about the overall Players' Cup meta and how those top 16 players are looking across the different regions. But before that, I wanted to do my card of the day for this episode. And for this episode, I wanted to give a, a throwback to a, a competitive staple of mine, which is Decidueye GX. So in honor mm. of the Players' Cup and the spirit of competition, I wanted to talk about the first really competitive deck I got into. So Decidueye GX was a GX Pokemon with 230 health. It... Um, well, obviously, it was stage two, and at the time, there was Forest of Giant Plants. So, incredible card. If you don't know about it, you should look it up. It lets your grass Pokemon evolve the turn they're played. Um, and Decidueye, what it did, it had an attack for 90 damage. It did Razor Leaf. It also had Hollow Hunt, which was very good, which lets you get a couple cards out of your discard pile as a GX attack. Um, but the real reason you played Decidueye was its ability. So, it had Feather Arrow, which lets you put two damage anywhere on the board. Um, and that was just, it's crazy because that ability I don't think would be very strong today, especially on a stage two, but back then it was really, really good. And there were even Decidueye mm -hmm. decks in the following formats that would play like Rare Candy Decidueye all the way through Lost Thunder. There were decks that would do that uh, just because having that extra two damage was really valuable um, in a lot of mm -hmm. different decks. Um, Decidueye, though, was originally largely paired with Vileplume. Um, it's funny because I think a lot of people noticed this combo and built their own different ways of going about it. It was something that I had even thought about as a relatively new player and kind of memed yeah. about with my friends. And they were like, yeah, yeah, it's just this is too many stage twos to put into play. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, I really think like two damage per turn for every Decidueye plus Vileplume just seems really good, man. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right, right. And so that was something that I had built and then obviously much better versions of it were built and played at a lot of sure. different tournaments. Um, sure. I played Decidueye at pretty much every single League Cup for that entire format. I played it all the way up until NAIC where I played Zorark. Mm -hmm. um, and that was really the only tournament, that format that I didn't play Decidueye. Um, it was super fun, really thoughtful deck. Um, 
Yeah, and almost the opposite of the Decidueye we have now, which is like not a very thoughtful deck. <laughs> you just evolve it and you win or lose. Um, right. Uh, but I, I loved that deck so much. It was so much fun, and I, I now and it's really like kind of spawned my really competitive drive. Like I, I talked about my old days where I played my Dark Ride deck, but I didn't really go to a lot of tournaments until I started playing Decidueye and getting into my group of my friends. So. Well, I think Decidueye is a perfect example of kind of routing and planning ahead with cards where Feather Arrow, a misplaced Feather Arrow could Costing be the games. difference between yeah. a win or a loss. And and that could happen on the first turn. You know, you could you could accidentally place your your damage onto the wrong Pokemon on like, you know, the first turn that you can get a Decidueye out. And that could be the difference. That 20 damage was exactly what you needed at the end of the game. And so Decidueye GX certainly a card that uh, encouraged a lot of deep thought about matchups and damage placement and kind of goals for that particular game. And certainly a card that, you know, players had to really dig into to do well with. Yeah, it was it was just a blast. It was tons of fun. And I continued to play Decidueye decks in other variants through other formats. I played the Zorak Decidueye deck in Lost Thunder. I played Ninetales Decidueye decks um, in the earlier Sun and Moon formats. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I played the crap out of the card. I love it so much. <laughs> it's it's And, of course, like the Zorak Decidueye deck as well at the when Zorak was first released. Uh, that gave me my first players or my first league cup win. Actually, came from that deck. Whoa! So cool. You know, a cool. lot of history between me and Zork and Decidueye. <laughs> so. That's awesome, man. <laughs> and actually, even one more thing. One of my most memorable <laughs> matches I think I've ever played at a local tournament was um, my second ever game against Andrew Mahone was a best of three Decidueye mirror. Um, when okay. the card was first, re- it was right when the card like was first released, and we both were playing Decidueye Vileplume and had a really intense Decidueye mirror. I barely knew Andrew at the time, but I really looked up to him, so it was a it was a really fun series. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, good memories. But now it's no time for memories because we got more players cut, so got to stick in the present. Uh, JW, you got a bunch of data from a couple different sources of what kind of meta we're looking at for the Players' Cup. So why don't you run us through uh, what that's looking like? Yeah, so first of all, thank you to William Pierce and Alex Piney for the results that they gathered. Um, The weird thing about this and about these results is that there was no, like, official results posted. So I I hope that we are correct, um, but there's really no way to, like, check our sources in the sense that (laughs) <laughs> we we don't have you know an original source to check it's all just kind of like well i made it to you know top 16 with this deck so <laughs> uh in any case we, here's what we have um regions of naoc and um and uh latin america we didn't get latin america's results in terms of the deck breakdown but we also have europe as well so so oceania europe and north america is what we have and it was pretty mixed. There were 10 total decks that made up, you know, the top 16s of the three regions with the most dominant deck being ADPZ. I think I asked myself, why would ADPZ be the most dominant deck um, of these? And I just think that 
you know, I was not that high on it heading into the weekend. I think, you know, we talked about the this on the podcast last week where we, yeah. we both kind of didn't feel that ADP was maybe the best choice. But you just look at the consistency of a deck like ADP and over the long haul, like drawing those extra cards with the Intrepid Sword on the first turn, like that's going to really just add up in the end. And so we don't know a total meta breakdown of what was played, but ADPZ certainly being that kind of consistent finisher winding up in pretty much every single bracket losers and winners in every region that we have data for yeah the, i i think it really comes down to the consistency of it um especially <coughs> especially i think in a double limb kind of tournament yeah. where really yeah. the goal is to run as hot as possible adp kind of fits the mold maybe better than we anticipated sure sure and i mean again we don't know like where the numbers come from so like <laughs> if it was two, 256 and you know 200 people played adpz well then that makes you know a ton of sense that, <laughs> that it was the most representative right for sure you know i mean that that certainly isn't the case but um we have also showing up at, at number two a tie between three different decks seven picaroms seven eternatus and seven luke metal Luke Metal was an interesting deck for Europe in that five people made winners or losers finals in Europe with Luke Metal. Yeah, definitely. It seems like such an EU kind of deck as well, to be honest. Um, if you've been playing the game for a while, it definitely fits the mold of the kind of deck that would do well in EU. Um, I mean, to me, what I see when I look across these results, and we could talk more about specific decks, is the top tier of decks has is firmly cemented as ADP, Pika, Eternus, and Lucario Metal. Would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just yeah, reflected I, I in shocked. the pure numbers of it. <laughs> I was shocked that Lucario Metal saw so much play. Um, did so. I mean, I'm not necessarily shocked that it did so well. I just figured that you know we were talking about how fire was on the rise, and there were 11 total fire decks between the three regions in top 16, but I just kind of thought like Lucario Mel Metal, probably not a ton of people would would play it. Certainly it would have some type of finish because it it does generally do uh, well against ADPZ. It can hold its own certainly against Pika and then has a fairly favorable matchup against Eternatus depending on which version they're playing. So I was kind of, you know, I, I was kind of seeing Lucario Mel, Mel Metal maybe on the on the downtrend, but certainly uh, showed up for uh, for the Players' Cup. Yeah, and I'm wondering if, because I even think the Sunny Scorch matchup is definitely more winnable than like the Blacephalon matchup. So, sure. especially if you play like a weakness guard, the Sunny Scorch matchup can actually end up being pretty decent. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm definitely thinking that's probably a contributing factor there because we saw Sunny Scorch and Blounds really both occupied a similar space in terms of uh, finishes, and Mewtwo is almost kind of a niche deck at this point. It feels like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have five Senta Scorch and four Blacephalon. Um, Scorch and Blacephalon, um, both, yeah, again, like you said, occupying that kind of welder fire niche. Uh, we had Blounds that were pretty evenly spaced amongst the regions. And then Senta Scorch, for whatever reason, mostly was a pick of North American players. So um, <laughs> that you doesn't know, surprise and, me and either. It, it, you know, kind of <laughs> makes a lot of sense here. We look at the North American results specifically, there were four Senta Scorch. And only one Lucario Mel Metal. We look at Europe, <laughs> and it's five Lucario Mel Metal and one Senta Scorch. So you know those kind of are are you know working kind of 
against each other as kind of being well okay if your region favors one then you know maybe you play the other or if your region favors the other then maybe play that i definitely feel like na loves senti scorch <laughs> i i don't know why man i don't know why either but i i definitely think so <laughs> doesn't make any sense to me <laughs> i mean it makes some sense Senti scorch does have just massive health can you know hit you know any number it takes it a while to get there Can't hit but, any number. Uh, there's and there are certainly those endorphin producing first turns that you have right where you're going second you get the volcanion out you know you get the scent scorch on the bench and you get the welder to it and you got you know you're sitting there with like six energy after the first turn and you're feeling like a god uh, <laughs> and that is certainly that endorphin rush that you look at you know why someone would play scent scorch but for me it's just never never been the deck man i feel like i feel like we love run hot decks over here to be honest uh, you know, Blacephalon, I feel like, was a major, major player in, in America compared to other regions as well. Uh, big Blacephalon, <laughs> that is. Um, yeah. And this feels almost like a similar kind of niche where you can just blow things out of the water or just lose. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, Riley, kind of what what is your takeaway here and, and what do you expect for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, I think I think really the meta will continue to follow similar paths in the fact that ADP probably won't stay as extremely dominant because I imagine that these players are probably a little more attuned to the ADP matchup, maybe have more techs for it to make it this far. Um, I'm guessing that ADP is probably the most played deck on the whole, um, in addition to also being the most played deck in um, our finalists here. Um, I think on the whole, like, yeah, a lot of these will probably make it through. I I kind of worry for the rogue decks, the ones that have just one-off representation. <laughs> Um, you know getting through the gauntlet of these gigantic behemoth decks seems really tough to me in double limb format Um, and but granted though I think I think almost all of the rogue decks that we have are all on the winner's side if I'm looking at correctly so we have four different decks that have one-off appearances Uh, that's firebox wet mewtwo excadrill and desigoons and yeah those are all actually on winner's side um so that's a, an interesting development. I almost wonder if that's mostly matchup based. Um, mm-hmm. These decks feel like they have much more skewed matchups than the other decks on this on this list so far. Sure, absolutely. I would be so curious to see what the uh, what the Wet Mewtwo looks like, what the Firebox <laughs> looks like. Firebox was a deck at the beginning of this format. I was pretty excited about. It. I mean, it seemed to have a pretty good ADPZ matchup. Um, you know, it could handle. You know, obviously would have a really good Lucario Melmetal. It could handle some of the other decks. I mean, you look at like Decidueye, it could certainly handle a deck like that. Um, but I would just wonder about its Picaron matchup and, uh, you know, maybe even its Eternatus matchup, trying to hit up to those high numbers. But certainly those are two decks that, you know, you look at it like, wow, you know, maybe maybe there was a little, <laughs> even a little bit more to the format than what we knew. Um, Excadrill, I have no doubt that Excadrill was just a... Um, a product of really good matchups. You know, Excadrill certainly does take some very, very favorable matchups against Eternatus and Pikaram. And so, you know, I, I'm sure if we had uh, talked to the Excadrill player, they would say, yeah, you know, I probably, you know, I hit a ton of those on the way here. And, you know, I had my one bad matchup, uh, they dead drew, you know. 
<laughs> for sure. But so. I mean, I, th- I think it's an interesting breakdown. Uh, like I said, there seems to be pretty clear tiers of these decks um, where you have ADP, Pika, Eternatus, and Luke Metal occupying that tier one, the Welder decks occupying a tier two, and then the rest of these are more rogue kind of decks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Riley, give me kind of your overall thoughts of this format as we kind of wind it down. I know next podcast we're going to be talking a lot about Vivid Voltage and what decks we've enjoyed coming out of that set. So this is really going to be kind of our last podcast kind of discussing this metagame primarily. And so what's kind of a high from this metagame? What are some of your takeaways? What's maybe a low from this metagame? And... um, are you going to miss it? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I expect you to also answer in turn because I think it's an interesting <laughs> one. Um, I think overall, this format was okay. It it wasn't maybe as bad as people gave it credit for, but it wasn't great either. Um, I think the fact that, and this might just be a product of the direction the game is going, but um, I just, I'm really not a fan of gigantic three prize Pokemon that are trading you know, basically two hit KOs of different colors back and forth on each other. Um, mm-hmm. So it is what it is, though. I think in terms of, like, the actual decks, I, I liked playing them a decent amount, especially Picaram, Lucario, Melmetal. Um, those decks felt really thoughtful in their actions, at least relative to the rest of the format. Uh, they were really fun to play. Um, and I don't know. I actually enjoyed playing Picaram more in a post-Electropower world because it felt like... The games were just yeah. much less sacky. It felt like I had a lot more control over how my games were going. And I liked that yeah. a lot about Pikaram specifically. Um, wasn't too keen on playing ADP or playing ADP as the player or against it. Um, wasn't wasn't huge to turn this player myself. Um, but Pikaram and Lucaro Memetal were definitely some decks that like I would love to revisit in the future. Um especially like even against each other, they had really interesting matchups. Um, so the high point for me is definitely, is definitely Pikaram. I obviously I played it a crap ton. It was super fun. And like I said, it felt like I had a lot more control over how my Pikaram games actually went in practice mm-hmm. as opposed to previous mm-hmm. formats. Um, I think the low point for me was just how centralized the metagame was for a while around ADP. Um, you know, ADP really just kind of took the format and ran with it. And it's just not a fun deck to play against. Um, because really, and it's not a fun deck to play for me either. Um, I don't know if it's ban worthy or not. You know, it's it's a hard call to make, but I don't think it's fun either. Sure. Uh, you know, it just has such a rote game plan. You're trying to do the same exact thing every single game, no matter what you're playing against. There's no really thought into the matchup at all when you're ADP. Yeah. You're just trying to altered creation and gust um or knock out something that's active if you can and that's just really frustrating to play against because it feels like the games are are really out of your control when you're playing against adp like they either they either get what they need or they don't (laughs) which i I mean in theory you could say about anything but adp it's a little different i guess i i kind of would also add to that is like a card like mawile also is a is a card that contributes for me to kind of this unfun factor of adpz um, ADP is the only deck that really plays Mawile and can really effectively abuse Mawile. And I think it's something that we haven't really talked a lot about, but it certainly is one of those cards where it's like, well, if, if you are successfully, uh, you know, if you do hit a successful Mawile on an opponent's 
you know, two prizer and have to force them to put it down, then you win the game. Um, like you pretty much know you win the game, like from that point. <laughs> and that, that also feels really just dirty, kind of disgusting and takes a lot of the thought out of, you know, the opponent's decision-making. And like, there are yeah. times where, you know, your opponent can try to play around them all while, you know, by quick balling away, they're only basic or, you know, keeping it in their hand as like a cherish ball instead of, you know, grabbing the Dedenne or, or whatever, to, you know, there are certain ways that they can play <laughs> around a mall while, but then you have certain other cards that ADP can utilize to mess up that game plan. So Marnie and, and reset stamp come to mind. And so I don't know that for me just recently, I've been like, man, Mawile kind of sucks. Like you're, you're kind of forced to play oh, it as the sure. ADP player in the sense that, that's a really cheap way to win the game. And then if you're facing off against it, you're like, man, I'm really scared of this card that just kind of breaks the game. I can't really do anything against. And I mean, that's how ADP feels on the whole, but uh, even more so with a card like Mawile. Yeah. The, and this one other thing I'll say about this format, and I, I don't mean to rag on it because I don't think it was horrible on the whole. Um, one other thing I thought was, not great about this format was the card pool is so limited and the decks that were dominant were so susceptible to it that crush stuff like crushing hammer was just like a staple um and not necessarily a staple but just would be thrown into every single deck and you know obviously i took advantage of that with a lot of my peak rom lists but um it doesn't feel like uh the game should be in a place where you just throw a crushing hammer into every deck and you know, sometimes he'll hit four heads and just win a game off of that. Like that just doesn't feel great. Um, and I think that's really, that really distills down my problem with this format on the whole. It's just the lack of agency and control that I felt um, when I played against ADPZ, when there was a hammer that was played, it just, that, those yeah. were the things that bothered me the most. I think even more than like, if you removed ADP and hammer from the format, I would probably enjoy it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think a high point for me from the format was just that there were so many games that we were able to see. There were so many tournaments, so many results that we were able to see that we've never really seen before in any other format uh, in the sense that we just have all these online tournaments. We have all these, you know, new streamers popping up. Like there's just so yeah. many results to see at any point in the format. And we saw that our format just really kind of figured itself out like, maybe a month ago and then from the last month on it's been kind of like okay i'm feeling metal today or i'm feeling you know you just kind of picked based on you know the builds were pretty much figured out like everybody's generally playing the same pika list everybody's generally playing you know within probably five cards the same adpz list and everybody's generally playing the same blonde sent to scorch, you know? Um, and so it's just kind of, Oh, how am I feeling today? How am I feeling today? You know, <laughs> do I want to go with this or this? Like what's, what's my taste, you know? And you're not really trying um, too much new that said, there were a couple decks at the end of the format, which I was also very ex uh, surprised with um, one of them being the Mewtwo Pika combination. Oh yeah. <laughs> collaboration. Um, yeah. That's wild. That, uh, that was pretty cool. And then Excadrill was a deck kind of at the, at the late stage of the format <laughs> that really just preyed upon some weakness to be sure, but was something that, you know, deserves to be in that kind of tier two, like, yeah, um, I would say, I would say like relative to most 
immediately after rotation formats, there is probably an above average amount of deck variety in this one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that would be kind of a high point for me. A low point would, I guess I would just have to go along with with your statement. I mean, I, I didn't feel like, aside from Pikaram and Luke Metal, that I had a ton of control over the deck that I played. And even a deck like ADPZ was like making me, would make me a little bit frustrated. I don't know. Uh, just, I get nauseous playing no, no ADP, deck. man. <laughs> yeah, no, no deck really. I didn't really click with any deck in this format. So um, I'm hoping that that changes for next format, that I can really just find a deck that I feel kind of at home playing. You know, I never really got that from this format. And so that would be a low point for me. Yeah, I totally understand that. Well, what I will say is if anyone listening has a higher low point that they'd like to share, be sure to tweet it at us at Tag Team Pokemon. We'd love to hear your thoughts and maybe cover some of them in the next episode. But we've reached that glorious point in the podcast where we open it up to viewer questions before we wrap up to the day. So if you're watching live now and have any questions that you'd like to ask about the end of this format, about the Players' Cup, about the beginning of the Vivid Voltage era... Uh, be sure to drop those and we'll get to a couple of them before we sign off for the day. Absolutely. So I'm going to be streaming the um, set release tomorrow. That's Thursday the 12th over on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash righteous. And I'm really looking forward to building some of the new decks. I'm particularly interested in the Togekiss deck. I feel like <laughs> that... May, I, I was thinking about it. I was like, ah, you know, Pikaram is pretty prevalent and, you know, the weakness is going to be something really difficult to get around. But you do have access to weakness guard energy. Um, and, you know, Pikaram isn't maybe like if you can dodge the Pikaram, like you're probably in a really good spot against most everything else. So uh, that's a deck that I'm really interested in checking out and, and trying to build lists of. I've, I've also really been harping on Colossal. You know, it seems like that deck can go a ton of different ways and certainly will be uh, another deck that I'm going to put a lot of thought into and a lot of experimentation into. Yeah. So we got a couple questions in chat here. Wallace asking, have you guys paid any attention to the Alola Cup events, Sun and Moon to Cosmic Eclipse format? I haven't really followed them too closely, but they seem really fun. Um, I think the Sun and Moon block was an interesting block of cards. I don't know, GW, yep. have you took a much of a look um, at those? No, I... I really haven't. I I think it's cool, though, that people will take these old formats, particularly this format, which Sun and Moon through um, Cosmic Eclipse, I, I didn't particularly love, but I know that there's just a uh, either a nostalgia factor or um, just, I don't know, some kind of extra terrestrial, extra sensory like love that certain people have for this format. And that's really cool because the more that you play a format, the more you can discover new things. I mean, we're seeing it in this format. Like I was saying, <laughs> there was just a ton of games being thrown um, in this format and we're still kind of figuring out, oh, you know, Excadrill or, or Picaram Mewtwo decks, like those can still be viable. And there's still some things that you can discover even playing those older formats. So that is Well, the interesting really, thing about really Cosmic cool. Eclipse sun and moon and cosmic eclipse it never really was the actual format um yeah you know it's quote unquote made up but it's the entire block of sun and moon cards which my opinion is always that cards are designed around their block more than like mm. rotation or anything um so I, i'm definitely it's something that's interesting to me i just never really have the chance to to pursue it but 
I think yeah. I think it's a cool idea, and I think Sun and Moon had a lot of really cool cards in it. So, sure, absolutely. Got a couple of similar-ish questions around Vivid Voltage, so um, I think they all kind of relate to one another in a way. So, first is, do you think Eternatus is dead with Colossal V Max coming out? Same for Pika by Zoro Dad GX. Um, I think Eternatus is going to struggle a little less than Pika. Um, certainly Colossal could find engines to get all the way to the Oko on Eternatus, um, but then Eternatus could also like counteract that by playing like uh, Big Charms or something of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. I think Pikram really suffers against Colossal. Um, it's just such a simple engine to get straight up Okos on everything in the deck. Um, I haven't tested a lot of the matchup head to head yet, so I don't want to like hard and fast say that Pika's dead or anything, but it seems rough, especially because Colossal looks to be a pretty popular deck moving forward. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, the problem that I foresee with a card like Colossal is that there's just no good grass kind of counter to Colossal. So if there's no grass presence and there's no like hard check on Colossal, then it very well could kind of run the format. Um, we don't know. Again, like we, we yeah, have to I'm put a little, in the time. I'm more hesitant to, to say that. Testing and, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, maybe Colossal kind of flops, but based on Japanese results, I don't believe that to be the case. Um, but there's no, again, there's no real good grass attacker out there. I mean, Rillaboom hasn't been a deck that's been viable. Um, you know, Azul might change your mind if you watch the latest OPOP weekly matchup between myself and him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, again, there's there's no real hard check on Colossal, so it may just run wild. And I mean, you could, case, you could have said the same thing about Eternatus, and Eternatus didn't really truly run wild in this format. It didn't feel like... Yes. Okay. So then, what are the differences between Colossal and Eternatus? I think. Well, I look at Eternatus. I think Colossal is actually worse poised than Colossal, or yeah, Colossal is worse poised than Eternatus. Sorry, because like okay, Eternatus can at least like damage things out of the game, right? Where and granted, it probably has a Colossal probably has better like one prize matchups um, against those like grindy one prize decks. but Colossal doesn't hit, like, super high numbers, so at least on its first attack. So I can imagine it struggling to, like, ramp up against, say, Lucario Melmetal. Um, mm. And obviously, like, the the um, Zamazenta is a factor there as well. Um, sure. I could see it, like, not being great against ADP. Um, I could definitely see ADP trading into Colossal okay. Um, so I don't know. I don't... So this is kind of getting to 20 Wilds question. I don't think it'll be meta warping to the same degree as Eternatus and Dragapult, um, but I do think it'll be very popular and will likely drive some decks at least down, if if not wipe them out. Yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, like you said, like uh, Eternatus does have some kind of counter to a Colossal deck, whereas Picaram really doesn't. So we'll just yeah, have to see how the, popular. The worst part about Picaram is like. You know, you have to get like all sorts of combo pieces for Colossal to get all the way to KOing and Eternatus uh, with the first attack. Whereas against a Pikram or even a Raichu, like even the yep. stadium without a boost KOs a Raichu if it doesn't have a big charm on it. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so that's pretty rough. Um, Just a doorman asks with the new set coming out, what decks do you think are going to be improved and what things, what is going to take a hit with the new cards? 
Um, we kind of talked about decks that would take a hit in the, in the ones that are weak to Colossal. Should be, are there any decks that spring to mind for you as benefiting, like existing decks that benefit from the set? I'm really trying to think. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, this is kind of a hard question. Yeah, um, because I, I think, generally speaking, the new set isn't that game breaking. It's pretty, pretty milk toast. <laughs> pretty average in terms sure. of the new milk stuff toast. that it brings. Yeah, I agree. And I, I don't necessarily think it's going to shift everything too drastically. Um, so I don't know that it improves anything. I don't know that there's a card that I look to that's like, oh yes, this is this is something that automatically goes. I mean, there are cards that I look at that you know certainly could go, like something like Jirashi, like could go in many decks. I feel like it'll be probably pretty good uh, in many decks. But there's nothing that I look at that is just you know automatic, you know, a thousand percent upgrade. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like trying to think of something that really truly benefits um, from the addition of this set that already exists. I don't I can't think of anything off the top of my head at least. Yeah, I mean you have things like you know I mean, the, electrode the could electrode could juice up some lightning decks. I guess I don't think it would really be that good in Pikaram because Pikaram is trying to play down to one prize. <laughs> yeah. So that seems counterintuitive to me. Um, yeah, I mean you have something like Nessa. You know, Nessa could fetch you, you know, if you're a Frostmoth-style deck, like, could fetch you the energy that you want out of the discard pile, you know, basically being, like, fisherman in the past with a little bit more versatility. So maybe that's that's something that we look to. But, yeah, I struggle to see something that's like, oh, yes, this card immediately makes, you know, Census Torch (laughs) the best deck in form. I I don't think there's anything quite like that. Yeah, the set seems very self-contained, I guess, if I had to describe it. Like it's a good way to put it. It kind of just exists in its own little space. Um, I guess Aegislash, it could be potentially helpful um, for ADP decks if, I mean, even uh, the Carl Memolo decks if Decidueye sticks around. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the Sonic Edge attack, very helpful against those kind of decks. Um, that's really, yeah. really the only thing jumping out at me. We have one here from Zorodad. Do you think Pika players will switch to Mewtwo for the weakness? Probably where we'll see things going. If uh, if Pikaram does survive, it might be in that kind of. It'll probably be closer to that Tord deck than the than what we're seeing now. Yeah, for sure. So, awesome. Well, thank you all so much for listening and the live viewers for watching live. We appreciate the support as always. You can check us out on Twitter at Smiles Riles, at Real John Walter, and at Tag Team Pokemon. And be sure to leave a rate and review on your podcasting platforms if you're listening from there. It really helps us out. Helps us out. Helps us out an immense amount. We appreciate everyone that's already left a review. And, you know, hey, if you want to sign into a new account, if you want to sign <laughs> yeah, into your mom's account, write a review from, you know, your aunt, no, your uncle, no, no, that'd no. be much appreciated as well. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, we, we do appreciate you all. <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> you're crazy uh, we do we do appreciate everyone here though you all are awesome and we will catch you next week peace see ya <laughs>